Good morning. Well, this morning's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we'll have a shorter teaching time so that we can have time at the end to pray together as a body for our search committee. And aren't we all so grateful for those of you that are on the search committee? You know, I, we realize that's not an easy job. And so for those of you who are serving on the search committee, we say thank you. We want you to know we're behind you. We're praying for you, believing that our big God, he sees, he knows what we need. And so <clears throat> we're praying with you and for you. And we get to do that today together. So I was asked to teach about praying the promises, and I'm excited to do that this morning. Um, God shows us so many promises in his word. He says, this is what I want to do. This is what I want you to ask me to do. So before we start, let's just close our eyes, bow our hearts before the Lord, and, and ask him to meet us here. Father God, we know that you are the great and awesome God. The God who sees all and knows all. That your eyes are on us right now as we cry out to you and say, Lord, today can we just hear your voice? One word from you, God, can totally change our life. So we come to you. We admit that we're easily distracted. I know I am. We ask that you would guard our hearts and our minds and that you would give us ears to hear and a heart that responds. Thank you for what you want to do for us, God. Thank you that you've told us in your words so much that you want to do for us if we'll just ask. So thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that we have that you speak to us, your people, because you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'll start with Spurgeon. Again, I like his, this quote, and so often he speaks this way in a, word, a way that gives a word picture. So he says, unless the promise is applied, it is like medicine that is not taken. Did you hear that? So just think about this. If, if you have a headache, what do you do? Now I look at you and think some of you are probably those tough guys that go, oh, I'll just ignore it and just push through the day. Uh, I'd like to be that way, but I prefer for it to just go away like that. <laughs> and if I go to my medicine cabinet and I pull out Tylenol or Ibuprofen, and I look at the bottle, and I read the ingredients, and I just study the bottle, is that going to make my headache go away? No. <laughs> I have to ingest it, don't I? I have to get it into me for it to work. And that's the way God's Word is. Do you know in James, it says, don't be hearers only. One who only hears the Word it's not enough to just come on Sunday morning and go, oh, that was good. I agree with what the speaker said. That's not enough. God says, be doers. You know you've really heard when it's changed you in some way. When it's made you want to do something. 
So, unless the promise is applied, it's like medicine that's not taken. And God wants us to take hold of his promises, get them inside of us. So today we're going to look at 2 Samuel 7. If you'll turn in your Bibles there, 2 Samuel 7. We're going to look at a prayer of David that starts in verse 18. 2 Samuel 7, 18. We're going to read through 29, 11 verses. And just a little bit of background. At this time, God has come to David and given him this promise that from his seed there would be a king to rule over Israel from David's day to forever. Now, we know what that promise was, wasn't it? He was talking about King Jesus would come from David's line. But can you imagine David being told that by God? David, who finds himself as king, although his life was nothing but ordinary. He was a sheep herder, (laughs) a shepherd. And God says to you, David... From your offspring, there is going to be a king to sit on the throne forever. So that's the background, and this is how David responds. I'm going to read to you from 2 Samuel 7, 18, from the New Living. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty? Do you deal with everyone this way, O Sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it will continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. What a prayer. 
Years ago when I noticed, God got my attention, how many prayers are actually written in the Bible. It surprised me. From beginning to end, you can find prayers written down. And when I compared the way I pray to the prayers in the Bible, I was shocked and realized, oh, there's so much I don't understand, so much I don't learn about, I don't know about prayer. And just as a little side uh, issue, we're not going to spend time there, but I would encourage you to read this prayer several times this week. Look for David's attitude. Just count how many times in 11 verses he refers to himself as your servant. Notice who he sees God as, how he sees God. That's amazing in here. And notice how that humbles David. He starts off by saying, who am I? He doesn't have this attitude that, wow, God, you're doing this for me. I must be really something. He's like, God, you would do this for me? And what God does for him, his promises to David humble him. Like, why me? Why are you so great and so good to me and my family? So David has a real... uh, great attitude in prayer that we can learn from. So we're going to just go right into this. There's um, only four, I'm going to make four points from four scriptures in here that specifically refer to praying the promises. And again, I'm going to give you a quote by Spurgeon. He says, all the promises of God are rich, inexhaustible, And their fulfillment is to be had by prayer. I like the word inexhaustible. Do you? He's not saying, oh, well, you're too far back in line. I've already had 30 people today ask for help. And that's my allotment for today. (laughs) You know, or he's not, he's going to say, I gave you help yesterday. Why do you need it again today? No, his promises are inexhaustible. I love that. And the way we get what we need from him, he says, just ask. Ask in prayer. The fulfillment of promises comes through prayer. So I have four points. There's going to be four scriptures that we're going to look at in this. Just pick them out. And the four points are this. The first one is, his promises show us his will. Do you ever say, I wish I just knew how to pray for God's will? And I can imagine saying, oh, I I can help you with that. Just open my word. Everything he's written down for us, we know is his will. He wants us to pray his word. So his promises show us his will is the first point. The second point is he wants us to ask him to do what he's promised. He loves to hear us believe his word so much that we bring it to him and say, Hey, God, you said this. Will you do this for me? So he wants us to ask. The third thing we're going to see is that when we pray the promises, we should be confident that he's going to answer because he's already told us. This is his will. This is what he wants to do. So that boosts our faith. We can have confidence if we're praying God's promises. And the fourth one is we'll see that God always keeps his word. Always. Not one word of his will ever fail. He's faithful to his promises. So we're going to start in verse 21. Oop, I skipped 21. 
Okay. First point, God's promises show us his will. Here David says, because of your promise and according to your will, you've done all these great things. David is looking at his life. He's looking at the nation of Israel. He is King David at this point. And he said, all these great things you've done for us so far, it's because this was what you wanted to do and this is what you promised you would do. So David connects the promises of God with God's will. Now, how do you know in here when you're reading if it's a promise? One way is when you see the word, I will. When God says, I will do this, you can be sure that's a promise. But another way to look at it is every word in here is something that God wants to do. And so it might not necessarily say, I will, but he's written it down for us, especially in the prayers, in Psalms, and we see in Paul, this is what he wants for us. When you see what he wants for us, who he wants to be in our lives, then we just want to grab that promise and bring it to him. His promises show us his will, what he wants us to do. Verse 25 says, and now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised according for me and my family. So David heard the promise from God, and it seemed unbelievable. And so he says, this is almost too big to believe. That's how I would respond if God said that to me. That seems impossible. You're going to make my family rule forever? That looks unbelievable, God. But you said it, so I'm asking you to do it. To do as you have promised. Second point, ask him. That might be the most vital point. Don't just think about it. Don't just say, oh, that was good. That was a good word to hear. Respond to God. Ask him. He delights in the prayers of his people. Do you know he says that? He delights in hearing us come to him and ask him to do what he's promised. The third one is in verse 27 where it says, O Lord of heaven, army, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. What is David saying? He's saying, you know, that promise seems too hard for me to grasp, so unbelievable, but I can have confidence to pray this because you said this is what you want to do. God, it gives us confidence when we pray God's word. We already know this is what he wants to do. The fourth point, <clears throat> David shows us that God will always keep his word. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Basically, he's saying, God, I know you don't lie. You wouldn't tell me you were going to do this and then not do it. Your words are true. God always keeps his word. Now, before we go any farther, I just want to give a little bit of background to how we pray the promises. It's important that we don't just pull a verse out and say, hmm, I really like what that says. I'm going to make that mine. I've done that. I'm almost ashamed to say 
how many times I've done that. It is so important that we read the be- what's before it and what's after it, really understand who is God giving this promise to, what's the situation. Don't make the promise say something that it doesn't say. There are specific promises given to specific people, and if you see it only said one time, beware. It might not be for everybody. Also, if a promise is in the Old Testament, think, does, now, does that fit New Testament theology? Meaning, does it look the same on this side of the cross? That makes a difference. On this side of the cross, Aren't you so glad that we don't have to bear the burden of bringing sacrifices to God? That we live in the age of grace and so much mercy. And so often it's easy to um, misunderstand the Old Testament. Aren't you glad we don't live there? We live on this side of the cross. That's not to say that every promise in the Old Testament is not for us, but be careful. Be careful. Read the context to figure out who it's really for and if it was for a specific person and a specific time. Promises also sometimes have conditions. One that God has been working in me is John 15, 7. He says, if you abide in me and if my words abide in you, ask what you will and it will be done for you. Now that sounds like, to me, an incredible promise. Like, Ask whatever I want, and it will be done. But did you catch the two ifs at the beginning? (laughs) It's a condition. He says, if you abide in me. And if my words abide in you. So what am I doing? I'm on. oh, do I know what it means to abide? Because I like that promise that God will do whatever I ask him to do. But the context is... He wants us to be fruitful. It's the context of the vine and the branches. So the whatever we ask relates to fruit bearing that will bring him glory. And that's really the purpose of our life, isn't it? That's where the real joy in life is found when we're living for his purposes and not our own. So be careful with with promises to make sure you meet the condition. Sometimes there are conditions and sometimes there are just blanket promises. It's amazing. So, uh, one scripture. uh, Well, let me go to this one. One more slide. Okay. Well, I skipped over that slide. (laughs) But all it was was Martin Luther. You know what he said one time? He said, what greater insult can there be to God than to not believe his promises? What greater insult can there be to God than to not believe his promises? I'm not finding that slide. It didn't move. (laughs) Okay. So, when you read God's word, isn't it easy to go, oh, this is so good, I believe this. Well, let's think about what it means to believe. Do you know that in James, God says, the demons also believe. They believe, there's, they believe in God. <laughs> they know he's real. So we need to be careful that we really understand what it means to believe. It's not enough to just say it. 
If you truly believe something, you're going to depend on it. You're going to rely, rely on it. Like that's who you depend on, who you rely on. You don't rely on another person to do for you what only God can do. See, do you depend on God? Do you rely on him? Do you trust him? To believe means, absolutely, God, I know you're going to do this for me. Do you fully trust him? And then do you expect? Do you look with expectancy? When you pray, do you get up from your prayer time and go, wow, I can't wait to see what God's going to do today? Because you have such faith that what you've asked him to do, when you've prayed his word, that's what he's going to do. And send you on your day with great expectancy. Isn't that? That's what it means to believe. <clears throat> and Luther says, What greater insult can there be than to not believe God's promises? Can, it's not moving. Oh. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just not moving on mine. Because. There it is. I wanted to show you one verse in the New Testament that kind of says the same thing. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's God in the New Testament saying what he told David in the Old Testament, he's saying, hey, if you pray my word, then you know you're praying my will. And if you pray my will, you can be absolutely certain that I will hear and I will do what you have asked me to do. So the last slide. The future is as bright as the promises of God. When you look at the future, is the future bright do you know what's surprising about this? Adoram Judson. I knew that he was a missionary, but I didn't know a lot about him. He was in the late 1700s to early 1800s before there were missionaries, quote. And he was from the East Coast. I don't remember um, specifically what state. But nobody had ever been sent out from the U.S. as a missionary before him. He was the first and I went to YouTube and type in his name, and there's a 54-minute little um, video on his life. It is incredible. And when I saw in this video a picture of this man's life, and then to see that he wrote, the future is as bright as the promises of God. That, that's incredible. He went through unbelievable difficult times, losing nearly all of his children and two wives. And yet he had a bright future. He looked at life that way. Why? Because he believed God's word. Because he believed God's promises. So for us, the HCC, it may seem like it's a long time that we're waiting for a pastor. But I hope we are charged up by the promises of God. Our future is bright. One great promise he's given to us, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will complete that work. 
God has done so many great things here. God is still doing great things here, and he wants to complete that work so we can look ahead uh, to a bright future that God has for us as a body and us as individuals and us as a nation when we believe God's promises.